Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to open them to the book of Mark. We continue our study looking through the book of Mark. We're looking at chapter 8. And uh, this is not some new story that most of us has heard because Jesus did this miracle at least two times that Mark records for us. And we don't know, maybe he did it more than just that. But it's kind of an interesting picture here that we find when we look at the entire uh, of the miracles of Jesus. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We ask you now that your Holy Spirit would remind us, God, of your ability to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And so, Lord, as we study this this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us, cause us to remember these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 8, we find in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitudes because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, never let it be said that Jesus' disciples or followers did not fast. Here's a good illustration. For three days, they followed Jesus around, seeing the many wonders and signs and miracles and the things that he would say, insomuch that they chose to listen to Jesus rather than go maybe get food. They probably thought, I can eat any time, but I want to be sure to check all this, what, what he's saying out. Well, notice it says that Jesus, seeing the multitude very great, he says, I have compassion on them. You know, you know what? Jesus knows what people need. Jesus knows what you need. And I, I, I like that. And you know what you need is uniquely different than what the person sitting next to you needs. Only God really knows what you need. We think we want a lot of things, but only God really knows what we need. God knows what's going to settle your heart or meet that particular need. Sometimes, friends, in our life, our needs are material. And here's a good illustration of where the people's needs were a physical, material need called food. Okay? Now, sometimes our needs are emotional uh, that we need. We need to be loved. We need to be upheld. We need to be complimented. Uh, there's other times in our, our, our uh, life where our, our needs may be um, psychological, where we need to be affirmed in our mind that what we're doing is, is approved by God. There's a lot of different needs that we have. We're very complex creatures. And just as your children have needs, I believe this is why Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. Jesus wants you to relate with your God in heaven as a dad to a child. And I like that. He knows what you need. Now, I don't always know what I need. There's a lot, again, a lot of things I think I need. I have a garage that can prove it. But (laughs) there may be very few things I really need. And again, going back to that, understanding what God has for us. And again, to say, Lord, what do you want for me? Now, again, Jesus seeing the multitudes had compassion on them. In fact, that's quite an interesting study. 
If you go through the Bible, look how many times in Jesus seeing the multitudes had compassion on them. Or Jesus here saying, I see the multitudes, I have compassion on them. And whenever you see that, you see a, 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 you see a, a setting for a great miracle of God. And I like that. Whenever you see God having compassion on people, not because they're worthy of it, friends, it's because God loves people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. I like that. And isn't that, oh, look how cute they all are. Look how sweet they all are. Oh, look at all the good deeds they're doing. I have compassion on them. No. God seeing them had compassion on them. You know, the Bible says while we were all lost, stumbled, bumbling around in our sins, God sent his only son to us, to redeem us, to help us. Friends, you can't live. If you're not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you, let me give you a clue here. You can't live this life without God. Now, the reason why I say that is because we will find ourselves attaching ourselves to the wrong things in life. God knows what you need, and Jesus knows what you need. And you know it's the Father's good pleasure to provide what you need. I love that about the Lord. You know the Bible in the Old Testament. God at times, as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God began to reveal His nature to them by His name. And we find Jehovah Jireh. It was one of the times that God revealed His name to him, And it means God our provider. God took care of them. And it's interesting that they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, even in their rebellious state to God. And in all that rebellion, yet God still provided for them. The Bible says their shoes didn't wear out. God provided for them food. All the things that they needed. He provided a pillar of cloud by day to shelter them from the hot sun. And a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm in the cold desert. God took care of them. By the way, people say, well, how did they wander in the wilderness for 40 days, uh, 40 years? How did they wander in the wilderness? How did they not just know where to go? You know what? They went where the shade was. And as that cloud moved them around, they always stayed in the shade. That was a place to be. And if you've ever been in a hot summer Idaho sun, desert sun, you know the place to be is under. You know how how you see those clouds come up out of the west sometimes? You think, oh, just one of them needs to go across the sun right now. That's the way they were. And at night, oh, they could move away from the crowd, but... The pillar of fire was there, which kept them warm by evening. And so that's how God took care of them and how God saw that. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God's never changed. You know, there's people that say, well, how come God was such a God of wrath and fire and brimstone in the Old Testament and such a God of love in the New Testament? Well, I guess God just changed. No, no, not at all. God's eternally angry at sin in the Old Testament, just like he is in the New. And we find Jesus coming back at the end of the tribulation period and he destroys all those people that are against him. But you know, the thing is, is that God is not in the destroying mode as much as he is in the blessing mode. And here he saw the people's needs and God responded to them. Notice, Jesus says, and if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way because some of them have come from afar. You know, Jesus knows those that have come from afar, those that are close. And again, Jesus wants to take care of their needs. Now, it'd be nice if it just uh, went to verse 5, but we have verse 4 here. (laughs) And and, and sometimes when you read some of these verses, it's amazing because verse 4 says, Then his disciples answered and said to him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, 
Whenever you start asking inquisitory questions why God can't do something, you can pretty much bet you're wrong when you ask God that question. Well, what are you going to do, God? You know? Well, God knows how to meet the need. And God's way of meeting needs, friends, is always beyond that which you can ask or think. You know, a lot of times we will ask questions in our lives. God, why does this happen? And you know, God's timing is always perfect. We don't understand that. But if you're a child of God here this morning, if you've turned the title deed or the pink slip of your life over to God, you can bet that God has everything in your best interest in your life as he leads you through this life. And again, it's through the circumstances of this life as a Christian that God moves us where he wants us to be. Now, a lot of times we have problems understanding that because we always say, okay, God, lead me. I'm a child of yours. Now show me where you want me to go. And we pray that, we believe it, and all of a sudden we think, we think that Tinkerbell is going to appear. Come this way. You know, and I'm serious. We think, you know, or we're going to be driving on the road of a car and all of a sudden, boom, big shining spotlight on the road. Turn here. You know, we, we get these ideas on how God leads us. Amen. But when you really look at the scripture, you find some interesting things. God leads us as his children through the circumstances that he allows to come around in our life. And none of them, friends, as a Christian, is by accident. Now, sometimes in our life, we might feel that God has taken a vacation from my personal needs. But that's not the case. And we might say, well, God, if you're all so powerful, if you're all so majesty... If you can do anything, why am I in the fix that I'm in? The answer to that is simple. God is doing something that I don't understand in my life, but in the long run, I'm going to be blessed. Why were the people hungry for three days? Why didn't Jesus respond to their need the first day they were hungry? Now, again, going two days without, I've been around some of you without food for just a meal. And you get really angry and, and three days without food. But Jesus wanted to show him something. Now imagine seeing the loaves and the fishes multiply. This is what Jesus was going to do in this miracle. Because God has a way of providing for our needs. And you know what? Sometimes it's the lack that when we see the abundance of God's blessing, we go, wow, God, you did. You did have a plan all along. God has a way of doing these things. Well, as he says here, the, again, the lack of faith of the apostles. By the way, a lot of times, you know, this is Jesus' uh, first line of defense here. These are his, his disciples. And the disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? I mean, we can't go to the 7-Eleven or anything like that. Where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? You look at this and you realize something. Jesus' disciples, friends, a lot of times were not any more with it than you and me. A lot of times we have what we call lapses of faith, amen? Where we, we, uh, we uh, kind of think that, that um, well, the, the disciples were really fire-baptized super-Christians. Not always. In fact, here's a good illustration of it. Jesus would make a statement... Well, I, I, I want to feed these people. And the disciples all pipe up, where are you going to get the food? Now, this would be different if we didn't read chapter 6 just a, t- 
two chapters back where Jesus fed the 5,000 men with, with um, five loaves. Now, uh, my point is, is this. They've already seen Jesus do this miracle before. They, you would think, verse 4 would say, and his disciples said, Ah, the fish and the bread trick. You're going to do it again. Cool. Now, the point is simply this. How many times does God prove his faithfulness to us in responding to our needs, and yet when we come to a new need in our life, we respond the way the disciples did here in verse 4, saying, What are you going to do? Where are you going to get that much bread? God's faithful. He can do these things. You know, time, space, and matter, somehow, in the field of God, doesn't matter. You say, well, Jesus could multiply the load. I don't know how those molecules could multiply as Jesus would break the bread. Again, we talked about this before. We'll talk about it this morning, too. The people that were close to Jesus knew something was really fishy with the loaves and fish. As he kept breaking them, they kept multiplying. You'd say, well, that's not something that you see happen every day. The second thing that I think is really amazing is those that were close to Jesus recognized it was a miracle. But if you've ever been in a large crowd, maybe 5,000 people, like at a football stadium, you lose real quick of what's going on. They might have thought, in fact, Jesus did have some big cave of food someplace and the disciples kept on going and getting it. But those that were close to Jesus, they said, hey, something's, something's going on here. And yet, in all of God's provision, and yet in all of God's miracles, they still had their times of doubt. And again, we find it here in verse 4. Well, verse 5. Jesus then asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now, you'd think at this point they'd go, fishes. How many? Seven. Hey, that, that rings a bell. Uh, just a couple of chapters back, uh, we had five loaves and you fed everybody. Hmm. Now, you know, by the way, five loaves fed, or fish, five, fed, uh, the five fish fed the um, 5,000. You would say, well, we have seven fish here, we can feed 7,000. Well, you, you know what it is? I, I think it's interesting here. I think Jesus is kind of showing us something. It isn't in the amount that you start with, it's at what you bring to God. God blesses, God will meet the need. Whether it's Five fish for 5,000 or seven fish for 4,000. The number isn't important. What's important is that God, once he blesses it, will take care of the need. And so he says, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke and gave them uh, to his disciples and set them before him and they be, uh, before the multitude. And again, again, we look at these, these loaves and... And um, God blessed it, took care of them. Now, again, the, the five loaves for the 5,000, seven loaves for the, uh, the uh, uh, 4,000 here. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set them also before them. And so, again, fish and chips, all you can eat, Jesus did it again. I love this. Now, I know a lot of you, um, you, you know, sometimes you think about what heaven is. And, and I do, um, and, and I think once you get about 25, you, you start thinking about maybe heaven, because by then, probably you've had a few friends that have even went on, passed on. 
And you start thinking about those things and you think, well, what is heaven like? I mean, I, I mean, are, are we, are we going to sit around on some big dumb white cloud for the rest of our eternity or what, what are we going to do here? Well, again, there's a lot of TV programs that have, you know, kind of different concepts of heaven and, you know, man's different ideas. But, you know, when you read about what the Bible says heaven is, it's a place where God's worshiped forever and they eat. There's food in heaven. Now, I like this. This is a good thing. And Jesus, of course, knew how to multiply loaves and fish. So you know there's going to be enough for you. I like that. Now, the Bible talks about during the tribulation when all this world has gone crazy. And friends, you begin to see uh, it hasn't started yet what it's going to be in the book of Revelation when we read that. You see all these different things going on. And, 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 and while the world is in their tribulation period... In heaven, the Bible talks about this marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be a big feast. And, and you know, for some of you that are on slim fast and well, this, this is a neat thing because the Bible says that, that this is going to be one big, long, great dinner. And just as Jesus knew how to multiply the loaves and fishes, I'll tell you some of that heavenly man is going to taste pretty good. So, you know, when we look and see what heaven is, and you know, the Bible says throughout all of eternity, God's going to show us his greatness. Now, now, you know, so again, if you think we're just going to be, you know, living in little, uh, you know, gold huts in heaven or something. No, 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 no. The Bible says, what's beyond the stars? You're going to know someday. God's going to take you there. Well, I'll tell you, that's going to be a tour you don't want to miss. You know, what's inside the atom? You know, that's going to be a neat trip. You know, there's all these things that God's created. And there may be other things that we don't know that God's created that he's going to show us throughout all of eternity. You say, well, um, uh, that, that sounds pretty good. But what keeps us from going there, again, is our own stubborn will, our own rebelliousness towards God. And so that's why we need to be born again. Well, they brought the fish. And it says, so they ate and were filled. Now, I like that. It doesn't say, and they ate and they all had a taste. It says they were filled. They they, they ate till they couldn't eat anymore. And it says, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Seven large baskets. They started with seven loaves and they ended up with seven baskets. What does that tell you? That the miracle was not pending upon what they started with. Because again, Jesus, they started with seven, they ended with seven. So all those people were filled by a miracle. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. And immediately he got in the boat with his disciples and they came to the region of Malegda or uh, Dalmuthia, however you want to say it. They went across the Sea of Galilee. And the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Now, this is really what the Pharisees were about. They would ask questions to Jesus. And sometimes, friends, you will get this same thing from people in the world. They ask a question, not wanting to hear the answer, but it's a question in which is a statement. Now, moms and dads, you do this too. It's when you look at your small children and you look at them sternly and say, do you want me to spank you? Now, is that really a question? Oh, yes, very much so. No, of course they're not going to say yes. Well, this is the kind of questions that they were asking Jesus. The questions that would somehow trap him at his words or in some way reveal some kind of sin in him and thereby you could discount the message of Jesus. In fact, they'll do this to you today. They do it to me. They do it to anybody, I believe, that is called by the name of Christ. Because you become a standard of the power of God in whatever area you're in, whether it's at your work or school or, or uh, um, where you live, on your block. 
If, 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 see, the thing is, you represent God's love. And that's hard. Either people are going to accept that or they're going to reject that. And, and you come along representing God. And, and you don't even, you know, you're not saying, I have come here to judge all of you. No, you're not doing that. You're just coming along smiling and blessing people and being kind to people. And, and they see that and they know in their own life there is a horrible lack. They may even think they're Christians and there's a horrible act and you become a standard to them. And so they have to go after you to reduce you to nothing. So therefore they don't look so bad or they can reduce your message. Well, this is what the Pharisees did. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, it is interesting here. It says, they came out, began to dispute with him, seeking a sign from heaven. Okay, if you're really God's son, do a miracle. You know what? That is not faith, friends. You know, there's a lot of people that come along today and say, well, if God's really God, do something for me. Remember, Jesus was brought before Herod. And the Bible says that Herod was anxious to see Jesus. He'd heard a lot about him when this is when Jesus had been arrested in the garden and moved from Pilate over to Herod's place. And and he says that he was anxious to see him because he had heard about all the things that he did. And the first thing that Herod said to him is he said, you've done miracles for others, do one for me. And you know what Jesus did for him? Nothing. The Bible says he didn't answer him a word. Now, some people would say, well, that's a pretty good miracle right there to be um, interrogated by the government and not say one word in your defense. That could be a miracle, but Jesus didn't offer him anything. He didn't grow any arms or legs out or cause any blind people to see. The the reason why, friends, is just because a person may see a miracle of God doesn't change their heart. And uh, there's people today that have seen miracles of God, and and it doesn't change their life. You You have to have a willingness in your heart to see God work in your life for those things that become real. Remember Pharaoh in the Bible, in the Old Testament? The Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I've had people say, well, what kind of a God is it that hardened Pharaoh's heart and then punished him? Well, what did God ever do to Pharaoh? If you study the scripture, the only thing that God ever did to Pharaoh was do miracles for him. He showed him that he wasn't God. Remember all the different things, you know, the frogs and the lice and the waters turning to blood and, 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 the, and all these different plagues that came upon the land of Egypt. And every miracle that God did at the hand of Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh's heart, instead of getting softer, got harder. Now, you say, well, where else does that appear in the scripture? Well, we find it with the Pharisees. Every time Jesus would do a miracle in front of the Pharisees, their hearts got harder. We remember that uh, Lazarus had died. And that that was the brother of Mary and Martha. And when they had sent to Jesus, they said, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick, come. And it said that Jesus delayed and came late. And they said, never mind, Lazarus is already dead. And Jesus looks at Mary and said, Mary, he'll live again. And she says, oh, yes, Lord, I know in the resurrection. And he goes, no. He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, will live. And so where have you laid him? And so we remember the, Jesus went to where they had rolled the stone in front of the tomb And he says, roll the stone back. And they said, oh, Lord, he stinketh. He's been dead four days. That's King James for, whoa, don't open that. And and so he rolled the stone back and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb alive. 
Now, when the Pharisees saw it, the Bible does not say, and they saw it and rejoiced and were glad. No, it doesn't say that. It says the Pharisees saw it and said, now we not only have to kill Jesus, but Lazarus also. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226 and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time. For more, it's time. It's time.